Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Is cybersecurity its own worst enemy when it comes to recruitment and to developing skills? The industry's skills shortage is well documented, but the way we recruit people has to shoulder part of the blame. From job specs that read like laundry lists of qualifications, even for junior roles, to practices that go against rather than promote diversity, we're failing to tap all sources of talent. And it's not just the industry that suffers. Organizations are less secure as a result. Our guests this week are challenging this. Sally Walker is a former director of cybersecurity at GCHQ. She's now neurodiversity champion at With You With Me, a social impact company that's looking to change the way we hire and develop people in technology. And she's joined by Jim Fox, a security consultant at Capita and a former counterterrorism police officer. I asked them both how their own career backgrounds convinced them that the skills shortage is something that they personally feel the need to tackle. So I've worked in in the security community, in the intelligence community for 25 years. Um, and I can't talk about a lot of what I did there, um, fascinating as it was, which is infuriating for a podcast or for any other um, interview. But what I can talk about is the people that I worked with. And it is a privilege working in that community because the people tend to be brilliant. Um, Actually, a lot of them are very ordinary people in one regard, doing extraordinary things. Um, And that's what led me via a very convoluted journey uh, to With You With Me, because they're trying to um, explain to everybody that in this digitally dependent world of ours, there is a space for everybody. And actually all kinds of different brains and backgrounds and experiences and competency sets are really needed. So that combination of sort of filling a national, international gap in a skill set and working with a company who passionately believe in human potential has been uh, really a, a, just a fantastic journey for me as I leave the world of government and come out into the, into the rest of the world. What about you, Jim? I, like Sally, have worked in, um, in in policing and obviously, you know, the, the security side of it. Um, nine of my sort of 14 years were spent in counterterrorism. So, again, you know, lots of good things, lots of, um, of people all, all seeking to do the right thing for the right reason. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, but unfortunately, the, the skills gap is uh, is one of the challenges in that you haven't always got the right people available at the right time to do to do everything that's required and and i you know took the conscious decision to leave um you know for various personal reasons and um uh, and, and came into the private sector and i got exposed into with you with me um probably about eight months nine months ago um and and for me, it really did resonate you know there's a lot of questions that it asked me about what my intent was, where I wanted to go and 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 that was my first sort of exposure and I've always been passionate about computers and technology. I've always had that security mindset of that should be the foundation of what we do, but there's lots and lots and lots of good people out there across all walks of society who have an opportunity to to change the world 
Um, and uh, and I think that's where With You With Me draws on the potential of those people. It doesn't matter where you are or what you do. You know, that, that if you've got the potential to do it, then I think so far in my journey With You With Me has been has been the one that really, really draws that out. So what is it that With You With Me is setting out to do? Solve underemployment, meet the digital skills gap, assist people into meaningful employment. Small goals to change the world. It's lovely working with a startup who who dream big uh, and are making real and credible steps in those ambitions. And I would also sort of add to, to Sally's point around, um, uh, you know, around sort of individuals. I think, you know, With You With Me has got that desire to help organisations. So there are many organisations that, don't necessarily know what to do in trying to fill that skills gap. And and again, I think, you know, with you with me lends that by using data to to highlight people's potential and 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 ultimately provide workforce solutions um, towards uh, towards organizations. So on the website it says that you're solving the digital skills crisis. There's this estimate of 3.3 million open vacancies in cybersecurity, which I think comes from ISC squared. Lots of other data points that we can refer to, but is it actually a crisis or is it simply an inconvenience for people who need people to do various tasks so that they can grow their businesses? I think it's a crisis. I think it's a crisis at three levels. One is we don't have the people we need in the industry already. And that's top to bottom. So that's the the very high end, very specialist experts all the way through to the fact that each and every job in the world now is affected by technology. There's either a technical solution to the problem uh, that used to be done by humans. You've got the, the challenge of automation or you've got the fact that we've got communication. We've got the ability to think differently about our workplace. There might be a better solution out there. There's a thousand apps for every every problem. There's, there's just endless potential of how to apply technology. So you don't have to be a coder, but you do have to think differently about the world of work, the jobs that are available to us and to future generations. And we don't have the people to do that effectively. We're not perhaps looking, thinking creatively enough about how we educate children to be prepared for this world of work. That's potentially a whole different conversation. And then you've got the challenge. For for those who are really expert, that they're working, they've done their jobs, they've, they've worked their way up their pyramid. And then they might see the threat of artificial intelligence. They might see the threat of automation. They might see the world changing in front of them. But there's huge amounts of talent out there that we need to recycle into the jobs of the future. And helping people to understand what that journey might look like is, to me, as important as helping people into their their first role. But perhaps less attention and less focus is given to it. It comes to the founding of With You With Me that you know, was born out of military veterans getting home from combat experience and being told they weren't suited for, for roles even as security professionals. Just their lived experience was that the world of work, the world of a CV, the world of headhunters, goodness knows how people find jobs in their second and third careers, were not looking at their extraordinary lived experience, skill sets, broader aptitude, and then thinking creatively about how to place them 
effectively for, for a meaningful um, future career. We'll pick that point up in a moment, but I was just going to ask Jim if before we get into that, if you could just tell me from your perspective in law enforcement and that area of security, where were you seeing the shortages? What gaps were you seeing emerge when you were still working in the public sector? We are absolutely in a crisis um, when it comes to people. And quite often, you know, when I had conversations and when I continue to have conversations at conferences with with people, particularly, you know, when they're representing their organization, when a cyber event hits, and I'm just going to talk from a from a cyber attack scenario, generally, almost in all lessons identified, it's we didn't have enough people. And as a result, that had a knock on effect on the resilience of their staff. And, you know, where do we get people? You know, the analogy of the kind of football manager role, people just rotate around the industry. And unless you've got new talent being brought into the sector or into cyber, you know, using that just solely as an example, I think that's that's what needs to change. We need a, uh, you know, a pool of people who can support the wider system, the ecosystem of, uh, of cyber. Now, primarily where the gaps are you know it's if you look at i'm going to talk from my own experience around um the word cyber is so broad and people don't realize what what is involved in the cyber world you know obviously pen testing vulnerability assessment analysts it it goes on but that's that's the challenge it's getting the right people in sufficient time frame to be able to provide an answer to a problem. And I can't sort of discuss too much around the specifics, but but that's the broad theme, you know, in public sector as it is in 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 the private sector. It's it's getting those right people with the right skills to the right event in sufficient time to actually make a difference. Just then coming back to what you said, Sally, you made, I think, a very valid point, which I've heard others say when we've talked about skills. It's not just entry-level skills or even particularly entry-level skills that's the problem. It's getting people in at different levels of experience so they can take on different tasks. Is that then where you're focusing attention at the moment or is it also looking at career starters? It's about changing the model. So it's about thinking about potential over experience. That doesn't mean experience isn't relevant. Of course it is. And if you've, if, especially if you've done technical training courses and, and you've got the qualifications needed for some specialist roles, then that's vital for the industry. But the way that we think about human talent needs to change if we're really going to recruit across the broadest possible talent pool. And then it shouldn't matter whether you're 18 and straight out of school or 58 and out of a boardroom and looking for something interesting and different to do. Because if you've got the aptitude, if you've got the ambition, and if you've got the drive to to move forward, then there will be a role that suits you. But that's a very different model from the, the one we've got today, I think. It is a very different model. And of course, from a recruiter's point of view, it is probably more hard work, isn't it? It's more difficult to identify those untapped talents and abilities within people rather than just sifting through a CV. And we did a series, we did a series over the summer looking at the whole question of talent and skills and the shortages in cybersecurity. And one thing that came out of there from a couple of guests actually was that 
recruiters or hiring departments or hiring managers were coming up with this laundry list of skills and attributes. And if you could find that one person, that one unicorn that ticked all those boxes, you probably wouldn't be able to afford to employ them. And they probably wouldn't want to do the job either. Almost an impossible list of soft and hard skills, technical training and experience that no one person can have across the breadth of cybersecurity. And it comes back to the point that you made, Jim, just a moment ago, that you said cyber is such a broad term. Um, you can't have one person. You're trying to recruit one person when actually what you're looking for is a set of skills that would be better distributed across a team. Does that resonate with what you're seeing when you talk to employers and potential employers? Certainly from my perspective, I and mean, I can even I can even quote from experience this week. I'm obviously on social media, on, on LinkedIn, and uh, you know, and I got approached early this week by someone who was looking to fill a role. You know, I asked for a copy of the job description out of curiosity, and they sent me it through. And it was exactly as you said, Stephen, you know, to fill that role based on the job description, the essentials, the must-haves, I looked at that and, and okay, straight away, you know, from, a, from an honest perspective, there's no way I'm going to complete that. And, and I went back and said, thanks, but, uh, but it was more out of curiosity. I mean, I'm not, I'm happy where I am. I'm not looking to go anywhere, but it was, it was a good opportunity to see what the employment market is still thinking. And I do think that's a problem. You know, recruiters have a, a specific requirement, which is to try and find someone as closest to that job description as possible and submit them through the process to see whether they can be uh, whether they can be hired into the company. And I actually think that needs to change. That fundamental model needs to be to, to be broadened and organizations need to think differently. I mean, you, you know, certain people can lead. Others like to follow direction. Um, and that's what I particularly liked about the With You With Me platform was it allowed me to understand where I was strong in and, you know, some of the areas that I, I wasn't maybe that I, I'd thought previously that I was I was potentially strong in, you know, came towards the bottom end of, of my assessment. But it, it did resonate absolutely with me and, and, and it absolutely sits in with, with the model of, um, you know, what, what Sally's saying about we need to change the current thinking. And that needs to be from recruiters right the way through to to candidates who who maybe have that lack of belief that, that you know, they've got the potential to do a particular role within cyber. And the way that often recruiting is done in this industry and technology more broadly, probably across a whole range of professional services, in fact, because they put everything in these job descriptions, it can actually be quite discriminatory it can make it hard for people to put themselves forward because they say i can't possibly meet all those criteria so i won't put myself forward sally is that something when you talk to candidates that they're saying to you actually i would have applied for a role in this type of industry but for the recruitment process and the way that the job was positioned and the type of things they're saying they're looking for was actually it may be that the employer is going to have to accept having half of those attributes or even fewer than that but what they're looking for is a type of person rather than a list of qualifications. The process we have today is so broken. It is a, a mechanistic, reductionist, production line view of the human brain. And it's looking to produce the minimum number of maximally qualified people in the shortest period of time. And what we need is a process that produces the maximum number of minimally qualified people as quickly and effectively as possible. And there are three things I would say to anyone who's in the recruitment or HR 
um, industry. One is please stop looking for the best because what we need is qualified enough not maximally qualified. And there's actually really good um, research that shows that highly credentialed experts can become so narrow-minded. They actually get worse with experience and they get more confident because they believe in themselves. And that's that's a really dangerous combination in a world where we're looking at wicked problems and challenges of the future that we haven't experienced before. The second thing I'd say is the takeaway menu approach to job descriptions just has to change. What is the bare minimum that is necessary to do this job effectively or to learn about this job over the coming months and years, rather than the maximum number of qualifications that you could possibly look for? As I left the civil service, I'd run one of the national cyber programs and I looked at a graduate entry level job, reasonably basic salary expectations. And I read it and went, I could not do that cyber policy job. And I've written the national cyber policy. It was just completely disproportionate for what they were asking for. And the third thing I'd say is, yes, of course, specialism is important. But in reality, aptitude is much, much more important. And as I say, this whole industry needs to be looking to the wicked problems of the future. We don't yet know what we're going to be facing. We can't reliably and dependably say that expertise of what you've done in the past is going to be relevant. But we can start looking at those attributes of our future talent pools and identifying people who might, or even better, who probably will be well-equipped given the right environment and culture in which to thrive. Yeah. We think about people as assets in all the wrong ways. And rather than embracing difference and diversity and everything that makes us messy and human and brilliant and strategic, we're trying to make everything very smooth and automated. We're taking the worst lessons from automation and trying to apply them to ourselves rather than celebrating that machines do bits of jobs really well, but humans are actually needed to add that different thinking, that joining of the dots, that operating in ambiguity. And we've got to start thinking about human talent fundamentally differently. You know, just echoing what what Sally's saying there. You know, or Sally said is is around. You know, there's a couple of conferences that I presented at recently, and I've asked for a show of hands from the audience about who has within their organisation a program that identifies talent to fill void, you know, fill gaps uh, uh, um, within within their business. And 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 I don't think I've had any hands up. So it does worry me that we are like sally says we're just stuck in this cycle of you know a one model that we've just done for forever um and and it has to change um you know certainly pre-covid i remember hearing a consultant that had said the next time we you know we have a major pandemic everyone will work from home and we'll never change it and I did view that with a bit, bit of scepticism and, and lo and behold, I actually don't think, you know, I work from home now 99% of the time. I don't think I would go for a role now that puts me in an office five days a week. Um, so again, organizations have adapted overnight. We saw technology come in to allow us to work during, during COVID. We can absolutely do it. Absolutely. Um, we do need 
to change the recruitment model and, and expectations from from organisations, and and I think that's where with you with me can help that. So how does that then open the door to bringing in people from different backgrounds? And you said originally the focus was on service leavers, veterans. That's expanded quite significantly now. So we've got neurodivergence, trying to recruit youth, refugees, various groups that you have got listed on the website and part of the project. But in terms of accessibility and allowing people to take on roles, is that quite important that actually the you know, expectation that you have to be in an office in conventional hours maybe is less important than it was five years ago? We've got to get to a point, I think, where as a model, if you want to call it that, as an employment model, we need to reach every single person that wants to work in an environment, whether they be at home or in an office. We will find so much more talent as a result of that than we would if we continue down the path that we're on currently. So I'll, I'll go out on a bit of a limb here. I think I've got a slightly different perspective. I think what we're seeing at the moment post-COVID is a comfortable, currently employed cadre who've built their experience and expertise pre-COVID and are now able to benefit from both working at home and the fact that they've, they've worked in a social environment for quite a lot of their careers. I suspect the challenge will come as we bring in the next generation of new talent because there's a really important part of being human, which is being connected and learning from others and watching others and gaining experience that way. And I'm not yet sure that we can operate effectively as communities online with each individual component sitting at home. And I suspect we will see over time a migration back to environments where people are connected, are face-to-face, -face, are able to absorb, learn, observe one another, because I actually think that's fundamental to being to being human. Sally, you're absolutely right, and I, and I can't challenge that. You know, I absolutely had forgotten the fact that that I had that experience, you know, in, in it, it, you know, pre-COVID, you kind of, it feels so long ago to, uh, to go into an office and spend time around people. But, you know, there will be many people out there who, who kind of view, view that, that, that they want solely want a role that, that places them at home and probably doesn't realize that they will gain so much more by periodically going in to an environment where they can exchange ideas, you know, and, and, I think that's evolutionary um, uh, that, that, you know, we need to we need to go down. There's some fundamentals here about high performing teams and particularly in the cyber environment. I think, again, we can we can reduce to the cyber environments being online. But every point in every role, in every bit of the industry, eventually you touch the real world and people have got to understand that connection. And it's a team sport. One of the reasons I loved working in this world and I would encourage others to think about it is it is that interface between technology and people. It is that interface between machine and mind, mind and machine. It's not coding. It's not sitting in a dark room. Some of it is. But there's just this huge range of roles. But it is fundamentally a team sport. It is fundamentally about bringing your piece of the jigsaw to a very complex puzzle and finding where you fit and, and being the best you can to contribute to that team effort. Another aspect of homeworking is potentially quite discriminatory 
And again, people's lived experience will be different, but it tends to suit people who've got larger properties, a more comfortable lifestyle, are probably more senior in their organizations, and therefore have the space and resources to set up. It's very difficult if you're starting out in a career or you're changing careers or you've got other commitments, caring commitments, to suddenly set up a proper home office. And I think people overlook that, especially in the UK where property is very expensive. It's not just difficult, it's also miserable. I mean, I do work with uh, minority groups in leadership and talent development programmes. And it is the youngsters are saying, just remember how, how isolating this is. And actually part of work is the work experience is what enables us to meet people. It might be what enables us to meet our future partner. It's how we learn. It's how we get inspiration from others. There's a lot of organizations I think are beginning to realize their policies are set by middle or senior management whose whose life experience and perspective on this challenge is fundamentally different from the, the young talents that they're bringing into their organizations. And yes, you're right. It is discriminatory. And if you're a young mum with kids, then it's, you know, it's incredibly challenging or a young dad taking responsibility for children. But but predominantly the burden falls, the caring responsibility in the home falls to women. And that is disproportionately going to affect the next generation in a way I feel very strongly about. Indeed, it does. And people perhaps who are from different socioeconomic backgrounds as well. So if you're in a rented property, just to take one one example, it's much harder to modify that property, ensure you've got decent bandwidth into that property than it is if you own it. It's a simple fact of life. And that unfortunately doesn't necessarily get reflected when people are drawing up job descriptions. Exactly that. And we saw that in COVID with communities and people, you know, assumptions being made about home education and not realising that some families share one device between the family, whereas another family might have 14 devices. I mean, it's, we just have materially different circumstances. And these are not factors that, that impact on the quality of the human brain that might actually be the, the very key to your future success. The one person who's got the experience, the understanding or the appreciation of a challenge that means that you're going to be one step ahead of the threat or one step ahead of your competitors. It, we have to change the paradigm so that we have the largest possible pool of the minimally qualified personnel to meet the future challenges of the workplace. And you want diversity of thinking because the adversary will also have diversity of thinking. The adversary has diversity of thinking. And if you look at some of the threat actors, they are operating at such scale that the only way they can coordinate their work is by treating this as an old world problem, i.e. they train lots of lots of people to do small stuff repeatedly. And the flip side of that is having a large pool of talent who are operating creatively, innovatively, and thinking outside of the box about the problem and the solution. That is the Western world's strength and that we absolutely should be relying on to maintain our advantage. So it actually presents a picture where the adversary, where the attackers, coming back to the cyberspace specifically, might actually be more innovative in the way they're working than the defenders. You've seen that in, in cyber criminals, uh, the way that, that cybercrime changes and pivots in response to what's happening around society you know we saw that with uh, with covid as soon as covid came into into being you know cyber criminals adjusted their 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 scams and we received texts you know from purportedly from the nhs asking us to to click a link and that's the speed with which threat actors cyber criminals whatever will will move and unfortunately you've got to be thinking ahead of where they're going to go we're not in that position is fair to say we're not in that position 
And the way we're going to get ahead of it, and Jim's right, we're not there yet, despite some extraordinary work by huge numbers of people and large swathes of industry. It is the quality of thinking that is going to get us ahead. And thinking needs cognitive diversity to do to be done well. Cognitive diversity comes from having people with different life experience, people with different cultural backgrounds, people with different educational backgrounds. The more that you look around your workplace and see people whose lives are different, the greater the chance you have of operating at the level of performance you're going to need to. So one specific group that I wanted to talk about just to finish off is people from neurodiverse backgrounds. And I know that's one area. It's not the only area that you're looking at. But why is that group in particular an untapped talent pool? That's a great question. It leads me partly to our education system, which celebrates what we can prove we know rather than genuine curiosity about what we don't know yet. I speak from lived experience. I've got two sons who are neurodiverse, very different experiences, very different levels of academic achievement. The school system will deliver for one and will not deliver for another. But it starts very young. We have a fixed view of what a good brain looks like. And it's wrong. And we are finding through our research, through our work with veterans and through the use of the potential platform that actually neurodiverse individuals have a range of skills that are perhaps different or even exceptional compared with their peers. And some of those skills are highly relevant in the cybersecurity sector. Some of them are highly relevant to the digital environment. And the more we can do to reach out to those individuals and create pathways for them towards meaningful employment, the more we will be able to tap into that rich pool of unexplored potential. It's the win-win, surely. There are some challenges. Uh, there are some difficulties. It isn't always straightforward to bring in people who think differently, who operate differently. But generally, those challenges can be overcome and the benefits are significant. And I, and I would echo echo that, you know, if you, if you were to look at any recruitment platform now for any organisation, I don't think I've ever, ever come across a guide that says if you're, you know, a neurodiverse individual and find that you can't complete this form or this template, you know, click this and, and there's a pathway for, for still getting your details or your application in, you know, and I can speak from a, a small amount of experience. You know, I've got a family member who who is neurodiverse. They've recently finished university. They've, they've got all the degrees that they set out to do. And yet, you know, only recently they've they've missed a um, an application by minutes because of the level of scrutiny and detail that they've put into analyzing the application and making sure everything is correct before they submit it and and they simply ran out of time you know there's an element you could argue of of not leaving themselves sufficient time to complete it but that's exactly one of their one of their traits so i think that that has to be something that the organizers or say businesses need to to consider is with you with me fills a gap but equally organizations and businesses should implement routes that allow clients or potential talent to get their cv in front of in front of the business for them to hire or consider putting them into a relevant role i saw a linkedin post in the other day by someone who um, was celebrating a coding achievement and the linkedin community 
in equal measure, celebrated that coding achievement with them and critiqued their grammar. Mm. It was just such a classic example of us getting it fundamentally wrong. You know, the individual is a coder, possibly dyslexic. The grammar was appalling, but who cares if their code's good? Does it really yeah. matter if they can spell? We all have different strengths. So let's celebrate what we bring and what we can do and not comment on what we can't do or focus attention on that. Same, same in the job application process. I'm like Jim, aware of individuals or organizations who say that they celebrate neurodiversity and then have got a, an application process that if you find writing difficult or reading difficult, it can take you 80 hours to get through the paperwork. You are not actually welcoming and celebrating neurodiverse individuals. You are being exclusive. And every stage of that process needs to be reviewed. And the recruiting managers need to understand and embrace the, the potential of different brains that are out there. So just briefly, then, how would a potential applicant use your service, use your platform? How do you get started? So I can probably talk through my experience of using the website um, and then maybe Sally can can focus more on, on the after. But um, I you know, in the beginning of the year, obviously, I'm referring people to, to go along and have a look at the website. I thought I definitely need to go on that myself, you know, ultimately, and uh, went to the website, registered. So with you with me.com registered my account, my profile. And then within that, it allows you to take an assessment. It took me about an hour and 20 minutes to go through it. There are certain things that as a human, aggravate me uh, about certain types of questions you know maths is not my strong point and there are some kind of uh, mathematical pattern recognition type uh, type stuff in there and then at the end of that assessment it ultimately provided me with a report and that report then set out the type of person that I am and and you know I'm I'm happy to to kind of discuss it but ultimately I'm I'm been viewed by the platform as a as a creator so having high levels of of openness to experience imagination and artistic interest but with lower levels sorry of of consciousness and self discipline but when I went on to read the report it did absolutely tell me you know the things that I it resonated completely with me um now you know, Sally, I don't know if you want to pick up how that would then be used um, to, to move forward within the platform to, to kind of uh, kind of lead people in. As Jim says, you've got that discover piece, which is actually thinking differently, not looking at your CV, but looking at your attitude, your personality type, your learning style and giving you an understanding of the kind of roles that might be out there in industry. It's not a matching algorithm. It's pointing out things to you that you might not know. So as Jim's described his profile, are you aware that that openness to new experience is something that is often seen in this kind of role? There's training on the platform. So an extraordinary array of um, training courses, of opportunities to work through from hour-long to multi-component training pathways, uh, all of which are accredited. And then once you've done that training, there's options in terms of how you would be deployed into a role or matched with an organization that is looking for that kind of talent. There's lifetime free training. So once you are um, signed up to the With You With Me platform, the opportunity is there to continue to refresh your skills and to continue to identify new opportunities uh, and to work with the organization in whichever way you want. So yeah, as Jim says, www.withyouwithme.com. Go and have a look. Sally Walker on how the With You With Me platform helps to develop skills for the cybersecurity industry 
and on the importance of keeping those skills up to date. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time when we'll look at the continuing growth of nation-state cyber threats and what they mean for CISOs. Until then, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.